And we are back. Thank you for joining us for another edition of The Dots. And uh, I'm flying solo today. Don't, uh, don't turn us off just yet. Um, I'm, starting to think, I'm starting to think that I need to do some recon on Chase. He's got more con- he, a lot of contractors out to the house. You know, I, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to sense a game. A game's afoot here. Very convenient. Constantly falling back on the, the old con- the plumber. Right, nine to twelve. I got to be here. I'm just kidding. Got to, got to give him, got to shoot some bullets his direction uh, when he's not here with me. Uh, so anyway, um, not a whole lot went on today. Um, let's see here. Let's pull up the, um, let's pull up the indexes. Good little rally. Um, I, you know, why I don't know why, <laughs> why, why today is a rally day. But you, you finished up 0.93 on the Nasdaq, uh, 0.93%. Um, some nice little bounce off some support. <clears throat> we were talking about this. Um, we actually cut all of our hedges by two thirds yesterday at the open. We were bouncing off a real technical level here on the Nasdaq again. If you're thrown off. One thing we are tracking, and I've said this over and over on a regular show, uh, starting January one of last year, when we get into a when we get into a, uh, a turbulent period in markets, um, <clears throat> especially in a market like this, where valuations, in our opinion, uh, are so, for lack of a term, better term, frenetic, meaning very little attachment to underlying fundamentals. Uh, not at all consistent, even inside of individual sectors. Um, you know, some of these b- businesses growing at eight to eleven percent a year, are trading at twenty times revenue. Some with subst- you know twelve, thirteen percent year growth and far better earnings are trading at three to four times. It, so there's just there. It's not a fundamentally driven market. Okay. Uh, in our opinion, and, and, and I could sit here and cite a, a thousand different metrics thrown at you. Um, I think stocks reflect a lot of things right now. I don't think most reflect any type of real association to underlying value. Um, <clears throat> and of course, there are some that do, right? You can't color it widely. It's just my point is when we get into a market like this that is so frenetic, that is uh, so volatile that is either panic selling or panic buying another, another situation uh, that continues to, to, to demonstrate itself and those watching it um, this market, at least for now, and bubbles tend to do this again. We very much think that we're in a bubble. I think it's going to be a, a, a harder to kill bubble, right? I, I think that certain parts of it are going to stay bubbly for certain, for longer. Certain parts aren't certain parts have already calmed down quite a bit. As far as the froth goes, other parts are raging. Um, so it's, it's like I said, it's just very sporadic, right? It's just, there's no consistency. Um, and when we get into a market like that, especially one that has so much central bank intervention, and why is that important? Because massive liquidity injections and massive capital injections and massive spending plans can have very impactful meanings on companies' bottom lines, but also on how a market is functioning, right? Think of SVB at the beginning of this year, right? Um, It was very frustrating for us, and I think it was really hard for a lot of people to understand why is this positive for the market. It wasn't positive for the economy, but it was positive for the market because you effectively injected another $350 billion, 
right? So when economies are being driven by stimmies and, you know, quantitative easing and all this other kind of stuff, and this is something that we've argued about for a long time, you don't want to get swept away with it and own a bunch of nonsensical stuff. You know, if you, and if you want to know how that ends, go look at ARK investors over the last two years, right? ARKK. You know, what is she still down 80, 80% from her highs or something like that? Just incinerated capital. Why? Because she was in ridiculous things that had absolutely no tethering to the underlying fundamentals. But like I said, it, it, that's kind of a consistent strain. You can see somewhat market wide, right? So anyway, it just extends to a lot of different places. So when we get into an area like this, one of the ways that we manage risk, we're looking at fundamentals. We're, we're, we're certainly applying that filter, but we're also playing, paying attention to technical levels. And the technical levels that we've been watching the most, and I think for obvious reasons, are the NASDAQ since January 1 of last year. And I know that that is anathema to a lot of money managers. We're not supposed to look at anything but the S&P 500. But here's our point. And here was my point when I decided that we were going to do that and we were going to use it as our benchmark. As the NASDAQ goes, so do the other indexes, right? The biggest companies now and the most profitable companies in the world are at the top of the NASDAQ, right? They are the tail wagging the proverbial dog. And you can even make the argument that they're the dog, okay? So it just seems silly. So that was our thesis going in. Well, sure enough, as we've watched this decline and rallies, there's been a lot of slop with levels, key levels to watch with the S&P 500 and the Dow. The NASDAQ has been a much better guide of when to hedge, when to watch. So we were bouncing off really big support levels at the NASDAQ right around 12.7, 12.8. We hit those, started rising right off them. We pulled the hedges, uh, cut them back by about 70%, um, you know, 75% actually. Thank God we did. Got a nice little bang. It's just one day, right? But just, you know, I think that that is part of our, and I'm not telling you to go do the same, right? This is a... This is an evolving process, but it's one of the ways that we manage money. You know, and as long as we stay above that level, we will be net long. Get below that level, and we will probably get much closer to neutral, if not downright defensive. Um, you know, and hey, that approach doesn't work for everybody, but at the end of the day, we re- manage retirement money, and we cannot afford a catastrophic outcome. So they're, they're uh, risk levels that we adhere to. So right now, I just think it's kind of a continuation of that. You've had a little bit of pullback in yields as well. You've also had a little bit of a pullback in the dollar. That was what was interesting about today is you saw a surge in the – I don't want to call it a surge. I hate the par- the hyperbolic terminology. Dollar was up very healthy, about half a percent at one point, which kind of flew in the face of the rally in equities, right? Everything, including oil, uh, stocks, everything has been very – at least recently – has seemed to be very highly correlated with dollars. So dollar up good, you expect things to be getting smoked. And that makes some sense, right? Why does that make sense? Um, You know, look, what is it? 40% of S&P 500 revenues, and more importantly now, 58% of big tech revenues come from offshore overseas, right? So that currency conversion rate is very important. The way that you can look at it is in terms of demand and on a cross-currency basis, Every tick the dollar goes higher is less revenue growth you're going to see out of Europe and Asia, right? Generally speaking. So um, other things today, rates actually fairly tame. Saw a bit of a rally in the 10-year, a little bit of a sell-off in the two-year. Not drastic on either side, but a little bit more of a steepening, which is sort of interesting. Um, You know, that being said, this yield curve is all over the place. But typically, um, 
you see a steepener, you're right? So you've get an inverted, you get an inverted yield curve and you typically see a steepening of that curve going into a recession. Too early to tell if that's what's happening, but it could be. Um, <clears throat> gold got hammered. Not gold was down a quarter of a percent. Silver. It was. It was a very trashy day. Okay. So the 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 lower quality the company, the better it did today. Why? I, I, Bitcoin was rallying. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Um, it is funny though. It had some interesting earnings out. I think Google came out today. Um, actually announced a pretty good quarter. Stock sold off by 6% in the after hours. It's moving around between 3 to 6%. That's a favorite of ours, one of our larger positions. Um, and, and I don't have any plans changing it. Um, the Azure, or excuse me, that was uh, um, not Azure, that's Microsoft. Their, uh, their cloud component for Google came in lighter than expected. Looks like Microsoft stole some market share there. Um, it it is it is it, it, it's funny to me how these companies have been deduced to cloud, um, and the reason I say that is long term, um, cloud isn't the future. Cloud computing is a commodity, right? So eventually, you will see margins in cloud squeeze to probably virtually nothing. I think eventually if you play it out long enough. Now, will there be other aspects and things that they layer on top of cloud that helps them generate revenue? Will it open up other rep? Yes, you can make those arguments, right? Network effects are real. I'm not saying they're not. But um, it's just odd to me this focus on cloud computing because at the end of the day, it's just a server, right? And and it will be it, – it, 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 it already is. It will become commoditized and margins will get, will get sucked out of it. Um, I, this anomaly in pricing, I think I'll continue to use Netflix as an example. Um, you know, go look at the market's reaction to Snap, right? Um, Snapchat, it, it, it was up, then sold up, uh, sold off after hours. But go look at the valuation of that company. Go look at the free cash flow. Look at the revenue growth, and then go compare it to Google. Do the same thing with Netflix. It, it, and that's why I was saying it's not. It, you know, I'm not just sitting there going, "Oh, tech stocks are bad." Tech valuations don't even make sense in the own sector, right? What, what are we valuing? Are we valued on growth? You know, if so, why do you have companies trading at a forty to fifty multiple that are growing revenues at low low single digits? What? Why would you do that? Whose whose margins aren't improving, right? If it was like an earnings explosion story and margins were coming up, then you could see it, but that's not happening. So, um, I, I, you know, guys, we'll have more look through. Obviously, the further we go down in time and all that kind of stuff, I just look at this market and what I think is having an outsized impact. How much? Who knows? I, I think it's kind of a fool's errand to try to figure that out because nobody really knows what moves markets. But this market looks very, very retail-oriented to me. <laughs> very, very retail-oriented. And I think you're going to see some follow-through on the institutional side because the number – just take it from me. I'll just tell you this right now. The number one thing that money managers are afraid of in this environment is getting left behind in another crazy rally out of nowhere. All right? So – institutions are on that side of things, right? And they're participating in these trades. It's not just retail, but it just, it just feels very retail-y. Saw another report, actually, this was about a week and a half ago. We didn't really talk about this, but I thought this was sort of shocking. I don't, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but the zero data option expiry fad. So 
one of the most degenerate ways you can quote unquote participate in markets is buying zero data option, zero data expiry options, meaning that you're buying an option that expires that day. So you buy the option, let's say at the open market open and the, that option expires at the end of the day. Why do people do that? Because if you buy a stock that say, let's say you're buying Netflix Okay, and let's say it opens up at 413 bucks tomorrow morning. Okay, and it trades down to 408, 409, somewhere in that ballpark. And you buy a 415 call because you think Netflix is going to rally into the end of the day. Well, that's option. Considering that it's six dollars, you'd say it's you're you're at four you're you're at 409 on the stock. You buy it at a 415 call. That's about one and a half, or maybe it's, let's say it's 417, 420 call. You think a big rally is going to happen in Netflix stock at the end of the day. Um, as you can imagine, because that option only has a few hours of time left on it and is two, two and a half percent away from its call, meaning if it, if it, if, if the strike price on that option is 417 and you buy it at 409, right? In all likelihood, the stock probably isn't going to rally to that price by the end of the day. So you can get that option extraordinarily cheap. Well, if the market ramps into the end of the close and you can cash that option in before the close, right? You can make a pile of money. I mean, 50, 60% on a, on a 3% stock move. Now don't quote that. I'm not going to, but that's the idea. It's, it's leverage upon leverage upon leverage. Well, I, it doesn't take a genius to sit there and go, okay, if you play this game over time, you'll lose everything, right? Now, people were blaming that on retail, and when you looked at the volume of zero data op to expiry options, the explosion in them, it just it it didn't pass the smell test to me. the 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 volumes looked too big. It looked to me like it was institutional players and dealers, you know, doing God knows what, you know, either hedging, offset, you know, who knows, who knows what they were doing. Well, interesting report came out, and it was by one of the big brokerage houses last week. I, I'm, I'm forgetting who it was. I'll try to remind Chase of it. Maybe we can bring it back up tomorrow. But they said something that shocked me. They said that zero dates, zero days to expiry options, about 30 to 40% of that volume was strictly due to retail, which was just kind of mind-blowing to me. Why do I think that's important? Because it goes into supporting what I was just saying. People still have a degenerate outlook of this market. This market has not been scared straight. It has not been scared into fundamental thinking, right? There's not a lot of disciplined action going. This is still seen as a casino, okay? And you're still seeing rallies and stuff that doesn't make any sense and Solana, cryptocurrencies up. Hey, and there's people that like, I'm, I'm not, we actually have a little bit of cryptocurrency exposure. So I'm not, not much. So if you're one of our clients, don't call and it's not even worth, discussing it's not going to swing your portfolio it's just a little tail hedge on the right end of the curve but um it just goes to support that thing that i was talking about which is just it feels like a very retail driven market you just you see stuff moving in ways that just does not seem like professional actions you know what i mean and and i can't prove that i can't prove that that's just a that's just an opinion of mine from being a market participant and a market observer for quite a long time and and it feels pretty last gaspy now having said that we're bouncing off really critical levels here and as everybody has been talking about or at least it seems like i've heard everybody talking about you have to be aware of seasonality Right. And if you're sitting there going, well, seasonality doesn't matter in a stock market. Is this over expensive? Well, you know what? This market's been more expensive than average its entire run. 
right? And so shorting something because it's too expensive, just take it from me, not a good idea, right? It, it Overvaluation, I think, is a great indicator of future returns, but it's a horrifically bad timing mechanism. And I mean, take my word for it or learn painfully on your own. Just I've made those mistakes. Um, but not a, like I said, not a whole lot. We got some really conflicted market really seemed to like the PMI data that came out today. PMI data really didn't mean much to us. What did mean more to us is a big drop in one of the uh, service industry measurements. Was it the Richmond service? This is where I need chase anyway. Right. And the reason I think that that's a big deal is if you looked at job gains, if you looked at wage gains, if you looked at where the strongest momentum in the, in the, um, manufacturing has effectively been in a recession for the last year, year and a half. Okay. So the strength, one of the things that has been propping up the economy and the market as a whole, in our opinion, is the service industry. Um, that service industry metric came back with a pretty sharp miss, pretty big miss. So that's something to pay attention to. Um, also seeing signs of liquidity getting sucked out, saw a big uh, jump in the amount of SOFR lending that was going on, or no, the balance bill. So there was less SOFR lending anyway, the, which is the bank overnight lending uh, terms. That's something to take a look at. Chase is doing some work on that. We'll have some more updates on the liquidity scenario again tomorrow. That's another thing that we're watching closely. Um, China is looking like they're, or, or I think they just announced after hours, they're going to inject a bunch of, uh, dough into the economy. I, I think people are making too big a deal of it. Um, we were talking about this after hours. It's a substantial injection, but it's not an injection that's going to change anything. Um, it kind of looks like it's, um, kind of throwing a Xanax at the market, if you will, kind of hoping it kind of calms things down structurally. It's not a mover to us. The numbers weren't big enough. Um, especially when you look at their debt imbalances, it's not going to clean up any bank's balance sheets. It's just going to ease things a little bit, kind of shooting some grease in the gears. Um, but man, outside of that, not a whole lot. Um, got some big economic data coming out later in the week. Chase and I will go over that again tomorrow and Thursday as well. Um, yeah, snap jumping. I Yeah, that jump and snap was kind of... Um, <laughs> I, I just, again, I, I, it's just really hard guys as somebody that has some, Oh, snap gave up that whole move. Yeah. Big jump right in after hours. And then it gave it all up. Um, that's Snapchat, by the way, uh, pretty big, big into bit into arc. Um, again, just retaily, very retaily is the, is the feel that's my read on it at this point. So anyway, that's about it for today. We're a little late getting this to you because of chase and I had an appointment I had to go to. So hopefully this catches you in time, but join us tomorrow for another of the daily dots. Like I said, that was about it. Uh, I think we covered the most important stuff. We'll dig more into those economic um, releases with Chase tomorrow. And um, I think, what do we have? we got some more earnings on deck tomorrow. I think those will be decent read-through. Microsoft had a nice queue, a little bit better on Azure. They were up about 4% after hours. Meta, uh, pretty much in line with expectations, at least it seemed. I haven't dug in the queue. I'm just looking at the stock price. Meta was up mildly in after hours. Um Let's see here. Where was that at? It's flat. It was up at one point, down at one point, finished down 0.81 in after hours. So basically flat, which tell you know pretty much in line with expectations would be my guess. 
But uh, that's about it for the day. So have a wonderful evening. We will be back, as always, again tomorrow to keep documenting and watching and memorializing what we believe are historic times. Hope you continue to join us on the journey. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at Know Your Risk Radio. Oh, one more thing. You're not going to want to miss this. Okay, later this week, I just firmly iced it. We are in, unless something crazy happens, but confirmed today. We are going to be talking on Friday with both Porter Collins and Vinnie Daniel of Seawolf Capital. They were two of the guys in the movie The Big Short that were on Steve Carell's team. The, Steve Eisman is the name of the real guy. Steve Carell played him in the movie. Um, I think uh, Porter – I believe Vinnie was the, was the trader and I believe Porter was uh, an analyst for them. Um, guys that uh, – Porter and I bumped into each other about a year ago, um, realized he was following me and figured out who he was and I wanted to follow him back and, um, and excited. Now he and Vinny Daniel are partners. They run a hedge fund called Seawolf Capital. So I think it'll be fascinating to get the story from the inside story from these guys on the big short. That'll be kind of the first half, if you will, of the interview. Second half is going to be more focused on what they see now. Uh, they had a big year last year, up 100% plus in the fund they were running, and we want to know what they're doing now, right? They're not just a one-trick pony. So anyway, you're not going to want to miss that. That's this Friday. It'll be out probably Friday evening, I'd say 5 or 6-ish p.m., and uh, you're not going to want to miss that. until. And you can get all of this stuff, guys. Again, there's no paywall. It's free. You can just subscribe to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, you name it, all, all the ones out there, Stitcher. It's out there. Just Google Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. We pop right up. Subscribe. All of these episodes, again, no paywall, no data, mining, none of that garbage. Uh, We are asset managers. We just do this as a a way to communicate and get our story out there. So, um, yeah, feel free to download or subscribe to the podcast, and you'll get that show as well as the Daily Dots and our weekly shows sent to you every week. Anyway, have a great uh, evening. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, Until then. Manage that risk and let's keep an eye on things. Again, that level we want to watch here on the NASDAQ that we think is very big is that 12.7, 12.8 level, and we'll see if the market continues to hold it. All right, guys, we'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.